Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Bloomberg Audio Studios. Podcasts, radio, news. This is the Bloomberg Daybreak Europe podcast, available every morning on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. It's Tuesday, the 13th of February. I'm Stephen Carroll. And I'm Lizzie Burden. Coming up today, stronger than expected UK wage data leads traders to reduce Bank of England rate cut bets. Chip designer Arms stock rises by 29% in a single day and nearly doubles in less than a week. Plus, pushing for a pause, the US president says he's actively working on a six-week ceasefire between Israel and Hamas. Let's start with a roundup of our top stories. UK wage growth slowed less than expected in the fourth quarter, underscoring the case for the Bank of England to wait before cutting rates. Wages, excluding bonuses, rose by 6.2% from a year earlier, down from an upwardly revised 6.7% in the third quarter. Petra Tag, a director at Man Group UK, says the figures suggest the labour market's not cooling fast enough to satisfy worries of a wage price spiral. What we have seen is a continuation of the trends over the past 12 months. Wage growth has uh, remained quite sticky, which puts inevitable pressure on organisations to pay more to attract the right workers. On the surface, it's, it's fairly flat, it's fairly calm, but it's what lies beneath for me is the important aspect of the data. And indeed, TAG's analysis is reflected in the market reaction with traders scaling back bets on cuts this year. Well, Andrew Bailey says capital rules are not responsible for low UK bank valuations, but he remains puzzled as British lenders trade below their book values. The Bank of England governor was giving a speech in the East Midlands in England, saying that he believes that more reforms are needed to protect banks from runs like the one that broke Silicon Valley Bank UK last year. Bailey also dismissed UK recession concerns, saying that any slowdown will be shallow. It's been just over four years since the UK officially left the European Union. Union. Some economists say the country is still suffering the consequences. Bloomberg's Tiwa Adebayo has the details. Brexit shrank the British economy. That's according to economists at Goldman Sachs, who say the UK has fallen significantly behind similar nations thanks to the decision. Their research found the country's real GDP has underperformed by about 5%. Reduced international trade and fewer migrants are included on a list of side effects that have contributed to the long-term cost of the move, according to the bank. Goldman's conclusion is broadly in line with other estimates about the drawbacks of Brexit. In London, Tiwa Adebayo, Bloomberg Radio. Shares in ARM have risen again, extending a three-day rally. The stock soared by 29%, closing at a record on Monday, with the chip designer almost doubling in value thanks to the artificial intelligence boom. Bloomberg's Carol Masser says the gains are being stoked by the firm's projections. 
That was fueled by that revenue forecast that the company put out specifically that far, far exceeded uh, the average of analyst estimates. So it's interesting. There wasn't anything specific today, but investors continuing uh, that three-day jump to more than 93% in arms. So pretty remarkable. Bloomberg's Chief National Correspondent Carol Masser there. The jump comes after a blockbuster earnings report which showed AI spending is boosting sales for ARM. Other big beneficiaries in the sector include NVIDIA, whose sales tripled thanks to its AI accelerator chips. Now to the geopolitics. Negotiators from Israel, the US, Egypt and Qatar are expected to resume talks in Cairo later to discuss a pause in fighting and the release of hostages being held by Hamas in Gaza. The discussions come as President Biden says he's pushing for a six-week pause in the conflict. The United States is working on a hostage deal between Israel and Hamas, which would bring an immediate and sustained period of calming to Gaza for at least six weeks which we could then take the time to build something more enduring. Biden's comments were his most detailed yet about the ongoing negotiations between Israel and Hamas, which the US is helping to facilitate. On Monday, Israeli forces launched strikes on the city of Rafah in the southern Gaza Strip, where more than a million people have sought shelter from the fighting. Many refugees fled the north of the territory after Israel launched its retaliatory campaign against Hamas for the group's October the 7th attack. Elon Musk has told U.S. Republican senators that, quote, there is no way in hell that Russian President Vladimir Putin could lose the war on Ukraine. The billionaire CEO of Tesla and SpaceX made the comment on X Spaces, part of his social media platform. Musk had expressed similar sentiments before, doubting Ukraine's ability to win the war and mocking Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky's requests for aid. His views contrast strongly with President Biden and Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell, who are argue that aiding Ukraine's defence against the Kremlin is in America's interest. And finally, Citigroup's warning that the market needs to price in the risk of future Federal Reserve hikes. Strategists at the bank say traders should now be hedging the risk of a very brief easing cycle, followed by rate increases. The analysis from the lenders' economists come as Fed Governor Michelle Bowman said she doesn't see the need to cut at the moment. I think it's too soon to have an expectation that or to, to measure or project when and how much I think we might be lowering the policy rate. I think the progress that we're making on inflation is, um, is very um, positive. Bowman's comments come ahead of the today US inflation print out at 1.30pm London time. That data is expected to show that price rises slowed to 2.9% year on year in January and it'd be the first reading below 3% since March 2021. Well, in a moment, we're going to get more analysis on that UK jobs data. But first, we're going to have to talk about Taylor Swift again, because it seems that her uh, presence at the Super Bowl boosted those viewing figures to hit a US TV record. 123 million is the number. Pretty stonking stuff. Yeah, really interesting to see an increase in that as well. There's often conversations around the declining television audiences, particularly for big uh, live events. But the fact that there's an increase, a 7% increase, and perhaps, you know, attributable to the presence of Taylor Swift, perhaps to do with the streaming options that are being made available, because it was across CBS on live television, but also on Paramount Plus as well. I did try to look for a European counterpoint to this story, which obviously the first thing you would think of, Lizzie, is... 
the Eurovision Song Contest, which is <laughs> one of the most, which is the biggest live audience event for television that's annual. Uh, that's actually on the way down, though, but that's partly because of Russia's exclusion from the contest and thus it not being broadcast in Russia. So 162 million people watched the Eurovision Song Contest final uh, live last, or live and streamed last year. That had come down from about 183 million in 2021, um, but perhaps a trend that's interesting to compare in terms of television audience habits. Okay, they just need Taylor as a guest star. Well, let's get to some more serious numbers now. We've had the latest reading on the UK labour market this morning. Wage growth slowing less than expected in the last three months of the year, but the unemployment rate also falling unexpectedly. Our chief UK economist, Dan Hansen, joins us now for more. Dan, what's your read on this? You've got Torsten Bell at the Resolution Foundation saying the big picture is positive, but the market reading this hawkishly, pairing back their bets on rate cuts in 2024. What's your take? Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends which way you cut it. I mean, in terms of sort of living standards and the like, Torsten's absolutely right. We've got real real wages rising here in the UK, but obviously from a from an inflation perspective, and I think the key thing here is inflation over a medium over the medium term, and the idea that it might settle at two percent, which is what the Bank of England really is aiming for here. I think the market reaction is is probably about right in that it, this was a sort of hawkish report, if you like. You had, as you've mentioned there, faster than expected. You had a slowdown in wage growth, but it wasn't as significant as people ex- as expected. And we've got this this unemployment rate that's extremely low at 3.8%, but there are some lingering questions about the quality of the ONS data. Um, if you look at broader survey measures there are there are sort of stronger signs that the labor market is loosening but i think all in all i think for us at least it's that wage growth number the fact that wage growth isn't slowing quite as much as people expected and the thing on the horizon now is that national living wage increase which is the big thing that we're going to be watching with the wage figures and whether that sort of derails this disinflationary process we've got in the wage figures at the moment yeah in april because um, the yeah, markets exactly. have markets have paired their bets on on where they see the Bank of England cutting rates uh, this year, you know, d- down to kind of around 70, 77 basis points the last time I looked uh, this year, with the first cut looking most likely now in August. Do you see this reading having a material effect or how do we put it together with what we're expecting in terms of the inflation numbers tomorrow? Yeah, I mean, I think what's going to be really I think you've got to look through slightly through the I'm not saying this is noise, but there's going to be a two two bits of this over the first half of the year. You've got the first quarter where I think you will, particularly with the inflation figure tomorrow, we might get a bit of a setback there. We're expecting a slight rise, but I think the band of uncertainty around it is is pretty big um, in terms of where, where that inflation number could land. But I think a lot of economists, including ourselves, are looking to that second quarter where we think inflation will really drop and quite significantly. And now the question is, is whether will whether the bank will put significant weight on that or whether it's just going to continue to wait that little bit longer um, to for the wage numbers to come off and also core inflation to come down as well, because that's going to take longer to come down than the headline rate of inflation because the head drop in the headline rate is about energy prices. So I think there are there are question marks, but it's sort of a bit of holding your nerve here with with um with the narrative because i think it will change and it will change going into the spring and there will be a question marks particularly as well i know bailey dismissed the sort of appeared to dismiss the points about recession Mm -hmm. yesterday but that if that narrative builds in the press 
we've got an election probably this year. That's going to be really difficult for the bank. It's going to be a difficult one for them to navigate. Yeah. And you mentioned the uncertainty in estimates around all this data. That, of course, is leading to volatility in the markets. But a huge factor in that when it comes to the jobs data is how unreliable it has been because of the flaws in the Labour Force survey. How much caution are you treating the data with? When is it likely to improve? And are there other private surveys that we should actually watch more closely? Yeah. So to answer your question directly, a lot of caution. Um, I find it quite difficult to believe the labour market tightened over the second half of last year, which is what the data currently shows, when the economy was maybe in a very mild technical technical recession, but definitely stagnating, flatlining. Um, other, in terms of other indicators to look at, I mean, in terms of surveys, one thing we look at is the KPMG Rec survey, quite mm-hmm. quite a lot of detail, and that's something that the Bank of England places a lot of focus on, not only on the on the sort of quantity side of the labour market, so what's going on with unemployment, employment, participation, but also in terms of wages, which shows, you know, there's a promising picture there on the wages side as well. So it it goes to the point that the bank has made in its um, minutes and in its guidance um, for quite a few months now that it's looking at a broad range of data. Um, And I think just to answer your question directly, there's a lot, There's you should treat the, the official data, at least at the moment, with quite a bit of caution it should improve in the first, begin to improve in the first half of this year. But the big point will be in September when the new LFS survey comes out. But that's obviously an awful long time to wait to know exactly what's going on with the labour market. OK. Our Chief UK Economist, Dan Hansen, thank you very much. The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Okay, from the economics to the geopolitics, let's go to the Middle East now. The push by the United States for a prolonged pause in fighting in Gaza of at least six weeks to allow the release of more hostages. Our EMEA News Director, Rosalind Matheson, joins us for analysis. Ros, what else do we know about this plan? Well, all we know about the plan is outlined by the US President Joe Biden last night is the timing that he would prefer for what he calls uh, a pause in the fighting, and that's for, for six weeks. Uh, there's been lots of different plans floating around with different time frames, anywhere from a couple of weeks to, you know, four or five months, uh, depending on who's compiling it. And then, but the elements of the plan um, are really the key beyond the time frame, and that is the question of what's involved particularly, um, you know, is it on an understanding that it leads uh, to a permanent ceasefire um, in the the fighting? Uh, And what happens to the Israeli troops in the meantime? Do they withdraw partially from the Gaza Strip or do they need to uh, withdraw fully 
from the Gaza Strip, and those seem to be really the sticking points in all of this. So regardless of whether it's it's sort of six weeks or four months, there are more fundamental problems um, in these negotiations uh, towards a pause. But at least we do know that conversations about it at least are ongoing. Yeah, indeed, we're following these reports of a meeting of CIA, Mossad, Egyptian and Qatari officials today. Are the fact that there are conversations being had like that an indication of, of progress towards an agreement? How should we read into them? Well, there's been quite a few rounds of, of talks um, that have involved Egypt, Qatar, uh, the US and Israel, and then obviously messages being passed on uh, to Hamas back and forth um, through those third parties. Um, so there's been quite a constant uh, flurry of these meetings um, going on. And they've often involved the CIA and Mossad, particularly to share intel around the location of the Israeli hostages who are remaining uh, in the Gaza Strip. We know there's quite a few of them, but their exact whereabouts are unclear. Uh, and so this is probably about you know, the, the best detail about what, if there is a ceasefire, uh, what an operation to, you know, to get those hostages out, perhaps in exchange for Palestinian prisoners um, in Israeli jails, what that would look like logistically. So at least even when they're sort of arguing over the, the terms of the agreement, they're trying to understand the logistical challenges of it also. So you've got the Arab nations trying to weigh on Hamas. Is Joe Biden actually having any cut through with Netanyahu by the looks of things? Well, it doesn't appear so, um, or certainly at least publicly. And you can see the level of frustration within the US administration. There are all sorts of reports, unverified, of course, that Joe Biden is sort of talking quite angrily about uh, the, the Israeli prime minister behind the scenes in private meetings with his own officials expressing exasperation about it, which is essentially that the U.S. is pressing uh, Israel um, to slow down its its uh, mm. its war in in the Gaza Strip. Um, uh, but the Israeli Prime Minister says, "Well, no, our goals are quite clear. We want to eradicate Hamas, and we haven't done that yet, and we haven't gotten the hostages out. So we're going to continue, regardless. Particularly contentious is this idea of a full ground offensive, you know, mm. near the in Rafah, near the near the border with Egypt." This is Bloomberg Daybreak Europe, your morning brief on the stories making news from London to Wall Street and beyond. Look for us on your podcast feed every morning on Apple, Spotify and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each morning on London DAB Radio, the Bloomberg Business app and Bloomberg.com. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say Amazon, play Bloomberg 1130. I'm Lizzie Burden. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Join us again tomorrow morning for all the news you need to start your day right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.